Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Plectroverse. My name is John Tron Davidson from Heavy Repping, and I'm here with smashing chap of many things, Chris Johnson of Players Pick Podcast and Kiesel Guitars. Chris, thank you for coming to the show. It's my pleasure. Good to see you, John. It is a pleasure indeed, and I think this is the this is the first time we've spoken face to face and not over email it or is. text. Yeah, truth. Um, yeah. Now I went back through our. I was going to say annals. I went back through our uh, catalogue and I interviewed you for the first time in May of 2019. Wow, it's been when, that long. Yeah, it has been that long. When Players Players Pick Podcast was in its infancy, I think you were 10 episodes deep at that point and you had you'd sent me the list of people that you had coming up. Uh, you are now on episode 71, <laughs> which is a lot. That's a long time. Because those are not short episodes, so how how does it feel having done that many of these? That's a great question, and thank you. Um, yeah, I remember that interview, and I was so ecstatic to have you ask uh, to to interview me at that time. You know, um, just real quick, I I <laughs> I still have a hard time believing that I'm even doing anything of any importance to, for anybody to care. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> So um, it's almost out of boredom in a, in a way, and like and, and and just nerdy interest in 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 gear and people that I'm here and doing any of this. So, um, and 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 a lot of you know good fortune. Let's say that too, because um, without without like work being able to work in the industry with such great companies, I wouldn't have the the nerdy knowledge. But um, yeah, I was just I just uh, recorded ep- uh, episode number seventy two yesterday with Josh Martin of Little Tybee, and um, it feels great, man. I mean, I in in, in some ways uh, I feel like some of the better conversations are just now starting to happen in a way, mm. but um, you know, thankful to to YouTube and the internet and the way it works. You know, like you put up all your old episodes and. A, a, a group of people find like an old episode that is like two years old, but it's brand new to them and they don't care and they're interested, you know? So a good example is, um, I didn't, I started the YouTube, uh, version of players pick podcast, you know, kind of as the pandemic hit. Cause I was like, what, I can't hang out in person with anybody. And I, that was my strict rule in the beginning it was like, okay, I'm not doing any uh, distance interviews. <laughs> I'm yeah, only yeah. doing interviews in in person because that's what Joe Rogan does. That's what cool people do, and um, and so I was in resistance for the first month and a half or so of the pandemic. I was like, "Oh man, I'm not doing that. Do I have to do that? I might have to do that." And yeah. then all of a sudden, here I am doing it. And um, but uh, but the I, I put up uh, all the old episodes on the YouTube and uh couple example one one example in particular is mark spear from krungbin krungbin he's uh he's super wildly popular but i didn't advertise that thing but all of a sudden that podcast has taken off and it's one of the shorter ones you know and everybody's just like man this is the greatest thing and i'm like okay cool i don't know yeah no there's there's no rules man there's no rules to the internet like it's nothing nothing makes sense do you know what i mean thankfully because i'd be in so much trouble if there was any rules (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> just be screwing it all up um now i gotta say it's really interesting um 
you've covered a lot of ground with these podcasts, right? But the thing that I find as I'm just getting into the podcast thing properly, I've always done just to camera mostly or email interviewed people. The thing that I found really compelling, and that is the correct word in this instance, is that I listen to your stuff, uh, Players Pick Podcast episodes, some of the early ones, middle period, later period, and there is a distinct change in the way that everything feels. But I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But the thing I did want to say, which I find really interesting, is that these podcasts of a, of a niche kind who we're talking about very specialized interests and picks and, and all the rest of it. There are some interviews where the, the pick is the crux of the thing that you're discussing and it brings in technique and, and so on and so forth. But the one that I found was the most enlightening and I think it's probably because your pals, or at least I get the impression that your pals was your Devin Townsend interview mm. um, because he's always a he's always a good guy to listen to you know he's a good orator you know but i find it really interesting how much you get into or players pick podcast but how much you get into the person like the actual musician that's there which i think is something that when these guys they must get so tired of when they're being interviewed and it's just about what are your eq settings how do you have your signal path you know you're talking angel uh, vivaldi about yoga and meditation and, and and all that sort of stuff was that is that a conscious decision that you made when you were going into it hmm. yeah i mean it, it actually was i mean it's funny because um and i've told the story a couple times here and there um on the pod but to different people but um a i didn't i'm, I'm a yoga teacher and um I, I probably wouldn't be doing this if i hadn't become a yoga teacher like I be, prior to becoming a yoga teacher and catching my ground in speaking to small groups I was terrified terrified of public speaking of any kind mm. um you know and and I don't find myself I don't fancy myself actually very shy but I just didn't have I, I don't know there's a, a thing about timing there's a certain internal nervousness that kind of twitches i feel like i have a small stuttering thing from time to time that uh maybe is not as noticeable these days thankfully but uh and then the suggestion of even doing the podcast was moon unit zappa she um she and i uh, uh started hanging out a few, you know three years ago or whatever and in the in the time she was really into yoga and she's a great writer and in, in our in the process of us becoming friends, um, she came to to hang out with me when Tool was finishing up this last record, and she knows them from back in the day. And um, in the process of her like kind of hearing me talk with the the roadies and and Adam Jones and stuff about guitar picks and other little nerdy things, she was like, "You have such great access. Maybe you should just ask these people just to chat with you on 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 the record with some of this stuff because." She's like, I don't, I'm, I don't know anything about anything when it comes to all this, but I was interested in what you guys were talking about, and so maybe other people will be too. And I was like, ah, oh, hmm, I don't know. And um, so, so I, I kind of said no to it, and then she came back a few more times and was like, hey, maybe, like I'm just asking you to please consider it. And I'm like, okay. So here I am considering it, and uh, <laughs> the uh, and and. I just all of a sudden had like a download and I was like, 
oh, maybe I wonder if Players Pick Podcast has been taken triple P's. That sounds cool in my brain. And and one when it showed up, I was like, well, because it was prior to that. She said, hey, think about you're at you at the time I was working at Dunlop. She's like, think about what where you're at and what do they do the best? What is the thing that, that Dunlop is supreme at, right? And I said, well, they're kind of supreme in a few areas, but picks are undoubtedly like they're the top of the food chain. You know, like you just, everybody has Dunlop. So she's like, well, there you go. Just talk yeah. to people about picks. Is anybody else doing that? I said, well, I, I don't know. But I don't know if that I want to just talk about guitar picks. I don't know if I have the gas in the tank to like be super nerdy about it but i mean maybe with some people you know maybe and she's like well you don't have to talk about guitar picks you know what you know you like rogan and you like guitar picks and you're a yogi just just be who you are and go and i was like all right all right that's that's easy enough when you put it that way and so so in in that process that's kind of just what happened and i was like okay i'm not going (laughs) to be too if i made it easy on myself and not put my box myself in too much, um, you know. It, it, I I was okay with starting the project essentially, and 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 as you know, might might have noticed in the beginning, I was kind of more like I tried I tried harder to be a, a little bit more of an interview person, and I had like questions, and I was I my three main questions were, you know, where did your relationship begin with the guitar pick, and how did we get here, um, you know. What do you think happens when we die? <laughs> and what have you been listening to? <laughs> it kind of, kind of, it was kind of those. Th- I mean, some form of those yeah. three questions, you know. Well, it's it is interesting though, because like like you say, one of the hardest things with doing this sort of stuff is that if you're, I mean, you know, obviously I'm a pit guy. That's why we're having this discussion. But the the thing that is really interesting is that once you you broaden the remit out to what you're going to discuss and i hear from listening to the early podcast like you say it is much more structured in the sense of saying question answer question answer tangent question answer which is what most interviews tend to flow like but by the time you get to um your boy stratton marshall and uh the recent one with liam wilson which was very very (laughs) that was a very strange listen because it just kind of happens it just goes straight in. There's the, you obviously you got your jingle at the start, but it just kind of slides in, and that's more. It's more mm-hmm. like being party to a conversation between two people rather than it being good afternoon. Here is such and such, and um, I think that's it, it's what it's what makes the th- experience more interesting because you're giving these people more rain to talk about their stuff and. Uh, by the way, young man, <laughs> talk about people. Like I, I, I was going down this list again because obviously you've added things in as time's gone on, and I see your posts and the community posts and all that. It's like a who's who mm. of everybody down here. Um, r- ridiculous, ridiculous people. And I was very, I was very pleased to see how much. And I know this isn't necessarily the de rigueur in the in the guitar community, particularly. It tends to be more on a bass thing because they're pulling a lot more. You know, bassists tend to be when they're being interviewed, it's because they're playing for person over here. But I like how much you're pulling from pop artists and soul and uh, like funk stuff and mm. all that, not just from the heavy shredding scene, because that tends to 
you know, in my experience growing up, that was always the slant in guitar publications. It was always towards rock and metal and and all that. And obviously, that's mm-hmm. great, and it's a great time to be in that scene with the players and stuff. But to cast the net that little bit wider and say, how did you get into this? So I came in, you know, I started playing in church, and I was playing with my thumb, and I was doing this, and you know, uh, I think I think it's, I think it's really cool. Um, have you had anybody that's really? St- I, I'm not. I'm not going to put you on the spot at this exact moment, with preferences. But out of the out of the the people you've spoken to so far, who've been your mm. the, so let's say the interviews you've most yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. Uh, the, I thank you for for the kind words. And the I'll say to back up part of the part of the diversity is just me being in the industry for over a decade and working for multiple different companies that have. Uh, and and just having a diverse music taste and like interest, right? Like I think so that I I do love shred guitar, um, and it's very interesting. I love the acrobatics. Mm-hmm. I love the the times that need that gets spent to like be able to um, put that together. Of course, the the uh, as far as enjoying the the conversations, I enjoy most of them. I I, I really. Love the 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 talk with uh, with Tosin. Tosin is a, has been a good friend for a long time. So, um, and I, I actually went. Somebody mm. talked. posted about that not too long ago, and it's like, oh man, I, I still I've come back to this one a couple times, and I was like, oh, that's cool, man. That somebody would even consider listening to the podcast more than once is weird to me. <laughs> but uh, but 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 kudos, you know. I'm glad I'm glad that that there's something there's some sort of substance there for them, um, and. But like you, you, you nailed it with with Devin is one of my my favorite people on the planet. Um, there's something just extra special about him and and the relationship that we've come to have. And um, you know, we we share uh, like mindedness mm. in yoga and meditation and and things like that as well. But what I what I find the most comforting about Devin and 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 a few other awesome friends I'll mention along the way here, but is um, he's he's at such a high level of execution in his in his career and has been for such a long long time. Like it's like one could argue that his fifth and sixth and seventh albums were masterpieces twenty years ago, right? And but he's got thirty plus albums. And yeah. one could argue the last few records were the masterpieces, right? Um, in, in retrospect, but he he both takes himself he takes the craft very seriously, um, but himself not so much. And I think somehow that's like part of the magical mm. formula is to is to to be concerned with the details and 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 be kind of a nerd about the craft that you're engaged in on some level even if you're you don't measure up to the next guy or three guys down the street it's just in your own world if you find that little spark of like interest that makes you dig a little deeper and it doesn't have to be as deep as anybody else it just has to be deep for you and and then as you're finding some sort of mastery or affluence or, or you know uh, ability in the in the craft that um to 
simultaneously at some point like realize, wow, like anybody could have done this, but I did it. And so that's like there's a there's a paradox there of like, um, you know, uh, I'm special, just like everybody else, you know. And (laughs) and Devin kind of exudes that to me. Um, He's like, oh, you know, (laughs) check it out. I'm I'm pretty clever. Listen to the music. No, no, no. Listen again, because there's all these little little nuggets of of gold and silver and platinum threaded through what it is that I've mm. presented. And I'm not going to tell you about every last bit of it. You're just going to have to find it on your own. And then while I'm, but, but at the same time, look at how silly I look, you know, like, don't take me too serious. I'm just a dude that has a family that likes to play music. And so, so Devin really gets, uh, one of the top mentions there. Um, gosh, you know, uh, so many of the the guests have kind of been good friends. Like these last few have been really good too. I really love Liam Wilson. I really love Angel Vivaldi so much. Um, and because when, when we talk, it's it feels effortless. Um, yeah. Neither neither of us are trying too hard. We're just responding, and that feels awesome. So um, maybe that kind of answers your question that you're you're posing there. Yeah. I mean, I. I find that these things, um, I was curious about this. I was curious about this genuinely as, as a player uh, and not just as somebody who's a, you know, a musician like yourself, is that you, the position that you've been in at Dunlop uh, and now at Kiesel, obviously, is you're around these people all the time. Um, whereas somebody who is say it's a young lad and he's coming up and he gets an opportunity to interview Tozen Abassi or, um, you know, Munyana or any of these people, he's going to be sitting there freaking out. But you don't have that mm. burden necessarily because you've, you've known them and what have you. The Vivaldi thing particularly, I found quite, and I, again, I'm telling you this is a very honest sense, it's quite a disarming discourse because you go straight in talking about meditation and thought process and him taking a break and saying, you know, I, I really needed to step away from what was going on. It's very, it's very frank, these discussions. And I think that it's something that's not, we get so caught up in the gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the gear, you know, the gear does matter, but I think mm. we get caught up in the gear. We forget about the people quite often. And the individual behind it who's having to knock out so much social media content or records or do clinics or, you know, they, their time is not really their own if they want to keep being in the game. And for you to take the time uh, to say, I want to know about you and what you're doing. You know, do you remember when that thing happened and you taught me about that and that meant that, you know, how did that work out and all that sort of thing? It's taken a genuine interest. So it's a different mm. approach entirely to these things um do you find that you've got more obviously it depends on the the level at which you know the person but do you find you got more personal and more colloquial with your interviewing technique or your podcast technique as it's going? yeah i i think i have a a little bit and it kind of depends it it definitely depends on the person and and the, the temperature in the the virtual room so to speak but um <laughs> yeah. I think I'm I'm relaxing as time goes on. I'm I'm less clinched around 
things. Um, not not that I started off in a super clenched place, but um, you know, I was really unsure of what I was doing in the beginning, and I still. <laughs> Congratulations. I still don't know what I'm doing, but but I have a sense of of uh, I've done this and it's not a big deal. Um and I am fortunate in the grand scheme of people out there getting interviews with these players because I I tend to have a history with most of them. I I've I've done projects with them. I've I've created custom products for them. Um went to bat to try to uh, you know, have them on the team when other people were like, oh, no, who, who is this person? I'm like, hey, like, I have a feeling, let's put them on the roster and let's watch them grow, you know? And then, okay, we'll we'll give them a budget. We'll, you know, we'll yeah. include them in the thing. Oh, wow, they're blowing up. Okay, you know? And so I have gotten to, to play, you know, kind of <laughs> this interesting role. And, and I'll even back up. So when I... When I started doing this work uh, for Ampeg, uh, I don't know. I mean, I was in a I was in a metal band. I had been touring up and down the West Coast um, with my guys and in trying to you know trying to like do the thing, you know, be a musician. And and I and I I ran smack right into all these walls of like mm-hmm. how difficult it was. You know, there was all this this fantasy about like, oh man, if we just get the right guys in the room and we record the album. Then everything else is going to fall yeah. into place if we just keep working hard. If we just, we just keep playing, right? But you're not. Most people, including myself, weren't really prepared for. You know, spent we spent ten thousand dollars on our first real like demo album, which was only five songs. Um, we had done like a shitty <laughs> demo before that, but um, and then but then on the outside of yeah. that recording, we were like, oh wow, like. There's a ton of things we didn't do right. Even after $10,000 and taking two weeks off and choosing a producer and choosing a studio, (laughs) all this stuff, we're like, damn, you know, can't, wow, okay. You know, so, and then, and then booking and all that stuff, right? So I, I, in a, in a way when I, when I, and I had some really unique opportunities prior to being uh, handed the, the cell phone with all the the contacts in it at, at Ampeg, right? Like I had met uh, some of my heroes and just kind of was into being at shows all the time because I was in a band and I wanted to. I learned that way. I learned by watching and being there and smelling how the venue is and how the people are. And I'm kinesthetic, right? Like so, um, when when they when when I got the gig, uh, I was they were like, "Hey, your main objective is to, you know." to rally the people that are already using our gear into advertising for us in all these different ways. At the time, we were still doing print ads at the time, and so I was setting up photo shoots and doing print ads all over the country with awesome photographers, New York, Nashville, L.A., on and on. And then social media was becoming a much heavier thing, obviously, and so it was all about rallying. And then, you know, signing, pulling people into the fold. And while I was learning about pulling people into the fold, I just, I, I, there's a heartstring tug that happens when you start getting just tons and tons of email around like, hey, I'm an up and coming artist. Hey, I'm up and coming artist. Hey, I'm about to release my debut. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm working with this big producer. You don't know me, but I love your product. Hey, you don't know me. And it was just like the same echo over and over and over again. Yeah. And 
So I, the, it triggered the, the, the uh, feeling of, how, like, or like the how I feel about the underdog, right? Like I feel like I always want to see a come up. I want to see somebody realize themselves, actualize their content, actualize their offering to the world, right? And then, and then get recognized. Like that's the coolest thing ever. Like, I want that for you. I want that for me. I want yeah. that for my friends. And I don't want it in the in the superficial way ne- necessarily, right? In the way that it's just like, oh, you got a bunch of likes on Facebook or Instagram. That's great, buddy. Your TikTok numbers are through the roof. It, it's not that that I'm necessarily wishing for anyone, um, but a genuine connection, a genuine, like, you put your you put your your heart on the line. You got vulnerable, and uh, oftentimes a lot of these artists, um, that you know, if they're a true artist, they're doing something a little out of the mainstream to to either gather attention or to shock or to 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 shift things, right? Because oh, it's been done this way. I'm I'm throwing my paint at the wall like this, and it turns out like that. So I, I just yeah. found that as the thing, and so after a decade plus of, you know, helping the big guys and being very happy to be in the room with all the the, the, the legendary names. I was also um, very keen on on meeting up with the young artists that were coming through town and uh, were making interesting music and had and a lot of them have gone on to do big things. And so, um, I, and one of those people was Tosin Abasi. I remember when when that when I saw what his very first couple of youtube videos and i was like man what is going on here i am this is yeah. okay all right <laughs> you know and then i his first tour through seattle I was like dude yeah. I, I had already comp- contacted him and was like i'm i'll do whatever you want like if i got budget for you like i and, and he was like what and i'm like yeah dude i'll like and so yeah i think he i think his band opened up for dillinger escape plan actually uh, that that time when they came through, and that's also when I started uh, a, a deeper relationship with Liam around right around the same time, and that type of thing. You know, again, I'm I'm just I'm very fortunate it happened, and so um, I'm sorry I'm so long winded, but the to kind of wrap it around, I think that um, as time goes on, that the podcast has um, matured a little bit. It's it's still kind of hard for me to tell because I'm inside of it. So I I it, I, I appreciate your reflection because yeah. Um, honestly, like there's so many opportunities to be for self hate in this process. Like I, hearing my voice, seeing seeing my face, and like oh. I'm like oh man, you know if I can get it edited and honestly. then put it up and I never watch it again, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> well I. I will tell you because this this is something um, something I've been talking about recently. Uh, we were talking about I did an article on uh, guitar culture and uh, especially online guitar culture mm. it could be quite nasty. And one of the things that I noticed, uh, and I I tell you this person to person more than anything else, that that feeling, the feeling of. Uh, you know the the broad stroke of imposter syndrome, or saying, "Oh, I really, I don't like this, or I don't like listening to myself talk, or I don't like seeing myself, and all that sort of thing." Part of the reason why this podcast um, 
for the listeners as well, seeing as you guys are here, hello. But part of the reason why this podcast is audio only is because a lot of guys in the scene, especially the makers, who are, you know, behind the scenes guys, mm. they're not comfortable being on camera. They don't want to see themselves. Um, and this gives them an opportunity to talk without being seen. They're just being heard. And that takes a lot of the sting sure. out of it. It takes a lot of the difficulty out of it. And it's endemic in our it's endemic in our people. Um, artists of any kind, I mean, human beings as a whole, but artists of any kind who are crafting something and projecting it into the world and saying, this is a part of myself I am sharing with you. <laughs> How will it go down? I don't know. But I need to do it. I can't not do it. It's it's just gonna it's just gonna sit there, which is why your you know your band camps and things are great because they let somebody who's making whatever they're making, they they've they've mm. got an outlet. They know it's out in the world, and the key thing is it's not just it's not in them anymore. And it's uh, it's an interesting dichotomy from from our perspective in the sense that. Uh, when we sit down to talk about these things, especially as musicians, uh, when there's a lot more technical stuff involved or something that to the layman would be technical, um, when you're talking about signal paths, or you're talking about, you know, like <laughs> unity gain or saying, you know, what type of cable should I be using here? or The, the composition mm -hmm. of this plastic, if we're talking about the pick thing. Um, it's worth remembering all of this doesn't matter outside of the context of our world but inside our world it does Beautiful. matter and it is important uh so there's always always two ways of of looking at this thing so that's a very long way Thank of saying you. you're not alone you, it, it's cool it, it reminds me uh, uh it, it, <laughs> of the the famous erica badu quote when on on her live album when she is about to drop uh tyrone for the first time she says uh, it's a new song, you know. Just keep in mind, I'm an artist, and I'm sensitive about my shit. <laughs> you know, she's what the drive, and I, and I, and it's been requoted all these different ways because it's yeah, the yeah, perfect yeah. thing where she's like, she's like, hey, I got a new song for you. I got a thing for you, but be nice to me. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sorry. Cool. Is it okay to cuss? I didn't. I I I, I shouldn't. No, just I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna beep you. It's fine. Okay, um, beat me out. Okay, <laughs> but I don't want to stifle you. Say what you want. I'm interviewing an Australian soon, so I'm going to have oh. to cross that bridge. He was very open about that. <laughs> Says, I He's know like, you're going to gonna, interview I'm... me, but I'm Australian, so let's let's get the swearing thing out up top. Um, so uh, now I want to turn our I want to turn our discussion to picks because sure. you and I are in. We are in very different positions, in a sense, because you worked in the heart of the biggest pit company in the world, um, mm -hmm. whereas I have been a consumer of that company um, for the last 25 years or so. But uh, I am interested to know your your first experiences with it. Like, did you come to the guitar? And I, I'm gonna we're gonna go the whole thing here. So, did you did you come to the guitar first? Was there an instrument between? no instrument on the guitar mm. yeah uh so my first instrument actually was saxophone oh really and that was yeah in like <laughs> in like third grade i mean i i wanted to play guitar when i was young and i there's a picture around somewhere my mom has of me holding a, a fishing pole like a guitar and i have like i'm like in first grade or something like that and i'm 
I always liked rock music. My 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 dad, my stepdad would play stuff around me. So I, I in my mind, I had like a, a rock and roll like feeling around life at a young age. But um, in third grade, there was the opportunity to, to join band, and um, yeah. and and somebody, I think an uncle or somebody along the line said. Oh, you should play saxophone. All the ladies like a man that can play saxophone. And I was like, well, I think that's something that I, I, I was so young. I didn't yeah, know course. that that's what, something that I wanted, but I liked attention. So I was like, yeah, okay. You know, but I, I had a inclining, I mean, I wanted women's, you know, ladies' attention even at a young age. And um, so I, I remember learning like Farrah Jaca and like uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb and, you know, I had a I had a mine was the one that I, 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 I the saxophone that I had was silver. It wasn't it wasn't um like brass or gold. And uh huh. I spent a year in band kind of starting to learn to read the notes a little bit and uh and then uh we moved to a different town not too far away. They had band there, um and <clears throat> but I, I, I didn't Nobody bought me a saxophone, so uh, I, I had to rent there. The rent was way more expensive or something there, and so uh, I just dropped it. I didn't do it, and uh, it wasn't till, because um, I, I, I'm in in junior high. I was really into hip hop and dancing, and um, well, we'll like, talk I about that just... in a minute. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, but when that kind of like faded, I. My buddy Ryan, he, his dad gave him a Telecaster, uh, like a like a fake Telecaster, um, for his birthday at, at right around sixteen, and I watched him learn the first couple of riffs. Like I think it was like Three Little Pigs by Green Jello is like one of his riffs that he learned, and I was like, dude, that sounds so awesome. Like, if you if you can do that, I'm I'm pretty sure I can do that. So. I, I looked around. I was like, "What can I do to get a guitar?" I was like, and um, and I and I had a couple of instances with a guitar be- prior to that. Like, there was a neighbor in an apartment complex that I lived in. His name was Chris, actually, and um, and my dad was friends with him. And he he had a had a Stratocaster, and he taught me one little like kind of lick from like a outdoors like i think it was like a roadhouse blues type of mm. thing it's one little tiny thing and i so i kind of had a little bit of a, a inkling towards guitar anyway and and i remember holding the pick then i don't remember what the pick was but i remember it being awkward and like just yeah, not yeah. knowing what to do and but uh but i ended up trading my skateboard off to another buddy in our circle for his cheap Stratocaster, like not even a Squire, it was a copy. It was like so. Me, my buddy had a a, a Telecaster copy that wasn't really a Tele, and I had a Strat that wasn't really a Strat. Wasn't really a Strat, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and 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 it was it was the late late nineties, and I and and uh, Nirvana was big, and Alice in Chains was big, Pearl Jam was big. And so I shifted from all like my hip hop. I didn't, you know, abandon completely, but I, I kind of tended to do that, um, where I would just like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm gonna go do that now. And I remember, like, I got rid of baseball cards to collecting them to to collect comic books, and then I then I got rid of comic books to collect music, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I have guitar, and now I've got to have all this guitar stuff. So I started collecting guitar stuff, you know. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I and I it was just random picks, and I, I I don't even I think it was celluloid. I think my buddy had a couple of Fender heavies and a couple of Fender mediums. One like couple, some of them were confetti, and some of yeah. them were the kind of the darker brown perloid looking thing. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And that was so. It, when did you start? And I, I know with a lot of players, it's not necessarily a conscious decision to start taking that so like the tools the peripherals more seriously um mm. but do you have any memories of when you started to shift into thinking well maybe this is an important part of my setup rather than just the guitars and you know pedals and amps and stuff yeah the fir- the first the first thought was um i i very quickly like probably within a year i was like okay so there's all this cool music and <laughs> Nirvana and Pearl Jam and you know all these type of bands and Soundgarden are a part of that sound but Pantera is the king and I was like how does one possibly get such incredible sounds out of a guitar and so then it was like oh, like I used to look at Hot Rod magazines and comic book things and all stuff to kind of sort out what it was and then all of a sudden I was like oh my god there is just a world of gear that I will never be able to afford <laughs> it's kind of like what it yeah. felt like in the beginning but I, I quickly somebody had said oh well your your guitar has single coils man so like you got to get a humbucker and I was like a hum what like I don't even what are you talking about you know so then it was like little by little to kind of the, the the village I would go to the guitar stores and I I I moved to Portland, Oregon for a little while in my junior year of high school and that's kind of where I started to know a lot more about electric guitar because there was a place downtown called Apple Music that uh is was legendary, right? And 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 they had so many different styles of guitars. So I would go down there and play all the different guitars and just lit- like hang out and listen and I'd hear other people talking about oh what what you need is this type of cable to get you oh no that's the type of, this is the type of pedal that you need and I was like oh I almost feel like I'm getting like I'm sitting in on some private you know it's like I'm getting the real information here you know like yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be smart here pretty soon because <laughs> I'm listening to these old guys yeah. talk about stuff that they know about um yeah, and it was just out of like wanting to have a crunchier sound. And I remember I bought a death metal pedal by DoD. Oh um, hell yeah! <laughs> and like I think yeah. it had the the black with the red splattered paint yeah. on it. It's got no um, no gain control. It's just oh man, yeah. just Amazing balls out. Gear, like. And that went into a um, a little PV like one ten or one twelve. I think it was a one twelve Bandit. Which already had okay distortion on it, but I wasn't happy with that. And then, then it was like, how do I control all this noise? It doesn't sound as cool as, you know. And the, <laughs> <laughs> I started taking guitar lessons finally um, when I came back from Portland, and you know, I, I was thankful to, to to find a really great guitar teacher and started just cl- cluing me into like the the palm muting and how to hold a pick a little better. Mm. And that was that was the really the moment when I saw. Because I had been playing, at that point, probably random Tortex picks or whatever I could get my hands on. But when I went to my guitar teacher's uh, uh, space, and he had Clayton, uh, the Clayton Eagle picks. And yeah. and and I was like, oh, so that's what professionals play? Okay. Well, then, so I, just, I played Clayton for a little while because 
even though his picks were way too thick, he was like a total badass, and I was I could I I couldn't manipulate the super thick pick at the time, so mm. I ended up probably going back to like a a Dunlop Green eighty eight yeah. for for a good portion of my guitar playing, but that's that's kind of he kind of opened it up and and then it was just you know it took years for me to really like. I didn't really even look into effects for a long time. I was just kind of uh, just interested in, in playing. Um, and even though I didn't really have uh, any objective, like I wasn't really learning songs. I wasn't really, I would learn portions of songs, but I just, I, it was a, it was kind of like a social thing. I was just like, oh, I'm hanging out with my yeah. best buds and messing around. That's quite interesting, actually, because it's very, it's very similar um in the words of in the words of Lance Storm, if I may be serious for a moment, uh, that's a very similar experience that I had coming up because mm. I did when I started playing guitar, there was no one at all at my school who played guitar. I think maybe mm. one guy, um, and I uh, I got into I got into it through the violin and. Um, my dad plays piano a bit and uh, I'd been in choirs and stuff, but like being around hanging out in the, <laughs> it's that whole thing. I know how, I know how normal it is, but like hanging around the guitar shop all day. <laughs> and, uh, or when I, when I used to work in this place selling shirts in, uh, in Glasgow where I grew up, um, sound control was down the road, which at the time was a syndicated shop. It's, you know, don't look for it. It's not there anymore. But, um, Sound Control was the big retailer in the UK and I used to get my hour lunch break. It would take five minutes to walk there. So I run down to the shop, spend 50 minutes in there, then jam like a bag of crisps and a sandwich in my face on the way back to work. But I'd just be in the shop and like hearing mm. these guys go, because they're such terrifying when you're a kid, when you're like 15, 16. Um, all the guys in guitar shops are so, you know, they're terrifying players and they're, there's a guy called there's a guy called Davy. I shan't say his, I shan't say his second name, but um, there's a guy called Davy who worked at Sound Control, and Davy played in an Iron Maiden tribute band in Scotland called <laughs> called Iron Maiden, but spelt like Iron Brew, so it had no O <laughs> in it. And he he was a scorching, like big red hair, like Dave Mustaine, but curly. Do you know what I mean? Whoa. Very curly yeah. hair, and he played with a Dunlop. It's weird that I never even thought of it at the time, but he played with a, a 500 series 1.5 mil. And I'd never seen anybody play with that at that time. And he was a proper <laughs> sort of guy. Wow. And uh, it just sort of like, one of those things where, you know, say, oh, can I, can I, can I try out that Mexican strat that's up on the wall? And he'd say, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just tune it for you. And then he would blaze loads of sweeping on it and then hand it to you like, <laughs> There you go, you guy. And um, I sort of I said to myself, like, if I ever work in guitar shops, if I ever work in guitar shops, I'm never going to do that to anybody. That's so rough, man. Because it, it properly oh, so pokes rough. at you. You know. Um, but that aside. Uh, now, you and I are in an in a interesting position here in the context of this community because we are not makers. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have our fair share of picks. And I am interested to know, in the heavier sphere of things, that once you get past the off-the-peg stuff, 
and you get more into the boutique end of picks. Uh, two things. When did you when did you first kind of become aware of that? And do you f- have you found any makers that are really like doing it for you in that respect, or what the guys that got you interested in that side of things? Because there's no, I don't think there is a right and wrong with mm. it in terms of is it better to play off the peg or is it better to play boutique stuff? I think it's very personal, but uh, I'm always interested to know from a player's point of view, a guitarist's point of view, first and foremost, um, what you have more of a physical engagement with. Hmm, Good question. I think the, I think I want to say that I remember becoming aware of the boutique artisan pick market Probably, I mean, somewhere about, I mean, it was actually probably right before I, I came to Dunlop, actually. I had, when I was at EMG, I was doing the thing there, and somewhere in my feed, um, there was this guy, uh, and I'm sure you know him, uh, Ricky Plectier, uh from, I think it's France, right? Ricky Lepletri uh, from, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Ricky makes some wild, wild kit, man. Yeah. wild picks and so <laughs> i think i think right before i I moved over to do the dunlop gig um that showed up and i was like i'm buying a couple of those those are crazy there i had and i still have this one here that i that i still love and it was um it was because of oh uh, you Charlie's- got one of those oh yeah i got a pl- yeah. there's a player named charlie sahona um, and I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I worked with him for a hot minute at EMG, um, but he he had a pick like that that has the metal on the sides, like the brass or whatever that metal is, and he did a couple of videos with an Ibanez where he he flipped it on its side and did these cool little pew 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 like things yeah, on it. I was yeah, like, yeah. oh my god, that's crazy! I gotta have that guitar pick. And then I got it, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not gonna ever do that thing that he did with it." But it's a really cool guitar pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I kind of kept that around, and I've I had uh, I think I bought like a Huffschmidt, um, some sort of big clear Huffschmidt pick too, because it, 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 you know how the internet works, right? You buy one thing, and and then all of a sudden more of those things show up in your feed, mm-hmm. and so I started becoming aware of it. Then I ended up over at Dunlop, and um it just kind of became more and more of a thing cuz people were I, then I, it was really at that point that i became more aware of like gravity picks because jimmy dunlop would be like hey you know cuz i in my mind i was like there are really no other picks other than dunlop picks even though i had bought a few of them but yeah. i still hadn't really like squared it with reality that there was a bunch of people out there making these picks um so i, I kind of really became aware of dava i became aware of gravity and um and v pick and um and and i, I kind of already knew about clayton but honestly like for the longest time i kind of kind of thought clayton was a part of dunlop i think for for a stretch <laughs> just because i you know i i it was oh this one has an eagle the other ones have turtles you know like whatever like like it just yeah. didn't it did, went right over my head but um so it was probably close to 2004, like between 2013 and 2015 is kind of when that realization started happening. And that's uh, around four, 2014 is when I, I, I was started working with Dunlop. 
And uh, as far as what's out there now and after all these years, like, um, of kind of uh, being exposed to so many different types of picks, um, I'm going to have to say that probably the, the top of my list outside of Dunlop and the stuff is, is BHL. I think BHL um, may make the most interesting thick picks uh, to me outside of um, and and this is like I still have a limited exposure. Like a, a chap like yourself, I think you have probably you know ten times the amount of picks that I have. And um, as far as diversity is concerned, I've got a ton of artist picks and a bunch of you know I've got boxes of things. But as far as the artisan market, you've been very steady on that uh, and doing reviews on them. So uh, in some ways, I'm much more of a beginner and much more of a luddite in comparison to yourself. But the 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 BHL Hodor is a favorite mm. pick. I just I I picked that up and I don't want to put it down. It feels great in my hands. Um, I really and I and I like. I think is it Brock? Is it is yeah, that Brock Little? The, yeah, Brock. He just—I just like him. He just seems like a nice guy, and I like the videos that he posts. He posts a lot of um, kind of behind the scenes on how the how the yeah. sausage is made, and that's kind of interesting because um, I come, you know, working with Dunlop, we don't—they didn't do much of that. They're not interested yeah. because they're so big. They're not interested in showing you how the stuff is made necessarily. They can talk about it a little bit, but yeah. Well, it's a different. Um, it's a different thing with Dun- with a company like Dunlop um, and Clayton. The big difference is that the pre- predominantly it's injection molding. Mm-hmm. So, because you're because the injection molding's coming from a block and then coming off a sprue and then all the all the CAD design, at least for the modern stuff like your flow glosses and and all that sort of thing, uh, and your little baby project, the four twenty, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kudos, kudos for that. Um, but that that sort of design uh, approach is very very different because it's much more computer based. With a lot of the hands on guys, uh, Brock being a good example, he wants people to know how the stuff, how the how the magic is done. He's not about like keeping it a secret because at the end of the day, it's it's CNC work um, with hand finishing. For a lot mm-hmm. of the for a lot of the plastic stuff, so UHMWPE, U glass, um, polysulfone, uh, that's all cut by machine, then finished by hand. And no matter how much he would tell you about the process, you still have to be able to do that. And if you can't do that, then you can't finish <laughs> to the same standard. So you're not competing in that way. So there's mm-hmm. less, you know. There are some guys who um, like the proper hand tool from you know, from a blank piece down to the finished product, that's a different thing. Um, like the guys that are working with bone, horn, wood, tagua, where you can't just cut it with a laser and then finish it by hand, that's a different story. Uh, but the Hodor, as you mentioned, um, I've got one of those in U-Glass, and that's that's a very, it's a very odd pick as an experience because he does very, very subtle carving to the tops and the tops and backs nobody else does that mm-hmm. uh, people do people do symmetry and they do recesses and certainly in the jazz community there's a lot of grooves cut to make you hold the pick a certain way but that pick is like it's almost like this 
like sort of concave on one side and convex convex is the other one convex on the other so it's it's hugging but it's not forcing yeah. you to play one way around which is really you know that's really cool um and it's he also great and it's fast yeah i will also say that is brock if you're listening that's four for four you've been mentioned on every interview i've done since i started doing this so <laughs> put that yeah. put that in your little sheet well you know he's been around the game a long time so yeah you know. He deserves it, man. And I, I will say um, the other favorite company, even though I'm going to say, I, I say this lightly, uh, I'm not, um, I I love Iron Age picks, um, mm-hmm. although I have yet to find one that I'm like monstrously blown away by. Um, and that's, I just need to buy some more of their, their picks. Um, mm-hmm. But I have... I bought this one a while back, and I don't—I forget which what the name is of this one, but it's a, it's a sharp, and it's got the kind of hybrid approach. I think that's the rattler. Um, is that the rattler? Yeah. Um, I got that one, and I got I got a um, what is it? The, the spear of Thor or something like that. I forget what it's called. Fenrir's fang, kind of long, pokey one with a bendy top. Yeah, this oh, this one. Uh, Oh, that's uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's something spear. I can never remember how to pronounce the name, but yeah. But those are those are made yeah. from Karenite, um, and then laser. There, so Alexis does a lot of. He was one of the earliest people I interviewed, and he does some crazy, mm. crazy, crazy work. Um, yeah, he came up as a. He was a. He was a. <laughs> such a strange thing. He was a Harrier jump jet engineer. Oh, before before he started making picks, yeah. Um, <laughs> both him. There's a lot of military guys ended up making picks for some reason. Um, him, Corey Whitney from Dragon's Heart. He was a marine. Um, and a couple, uh, Paul from Bog Street. He was he worked in in naval intelligence, I think, if memory serves, or like some wing of that before he got into making picks. So it's. Hmm. It's a weird, it's a weird old world out there full of strange cats, but it's cool. It um, is, uh, Bog Street is one that I wanted to. I, I definitely want to try out their picks. Um, I they they're the ones that are kind of molded and have like some asymmetrical um, type grip with holes in the middle. Am, am I right? Or so I the original the original series of those were called the Leap, and he's still making them now. But the Leap was launched with it's got a huge raised middle section. Uh, with three different tips of different thicknesses. So it was like a half mil 0.7 and a 0.9. And then they did one that was like a 0.8, one mil and a 1.2. Um, and by Paul's own admission, when I interviewed him a wee while ago, he said that when they did the first run, like the Kickstarter run, which are the ones that I've got, um, they were okay. And since then they've retooled that pick and it's now way better. Uh, they change mm. the thicknesses and it's the finishings way way neater because he's very he's I'll give him kudos for this see when it comes to the injection molding process that's some neat work like truly mm. no tangs very very smooth uh, if I were to make you a recommendation which I will um, try the Axe series uh, the Axe series okay. are very very good no string noise interesting um, I actually no string noise which is a very 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 hard thing to achieve um yeah because they've they have mottled they've mottled the surface 
uh, of the pick. I mean, I don't mind telling you this because it's on the pick, but like um, the, the the surface isn't flat. So because it's not flat and it's a matte finish, um, it doesn't chirp going in. Some people find the hole in the middle kind of weird, but that's a very personal thing. I can't speak for that, obviously. But sure. um, but yeah, absolutely get him. He's 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 cool. poured he's poured everything into that, and he's doing strings now. Oh, good for him! Hopefully I don't know how he got out. into that, but you know he's doing strings. Um, so yeah, uh, that's it's, a difficult business. That is a very difficult. But I don't know how people get into that. Like strings no. is that's not a I'm going to wind these at home by hand sort of thing. That's that's machinery. No. And there's there's a couple of mafia bosses in that business, and you just like you're like good luck, like. Um, you know, the Dunlop makes strings for years and they still make strings and they do okay. They they're 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 not bad strings, but uh but the but Diadario and Ernie Ball um have such massive purchasing power that um we ran into issues where we were like we couldn't buy the, the best grade material to make strings with because those two would buy them buy all that material out. So all that was left was like second and third grade down the tier material to make strings with. And um, so you, you, you see, you see, if you want to wait and make it with the best material, then you're, then you're waiting around for when, when there's like a, a moment where they haven't, neither one of those companies has bought, bought everything out. And oftentimes I think, I think that they, they do it purposefully so that nobody mm. else has the, the material that, you know, the high grade material. So. Whatever. If you're the boss, you can you, know, you get to do this weird stuff like that. I guess that's a that's a that's a business move right there. Yeah. Not a, not a genteel business move, but then a lot of people aren't in the genteel business. Correct. Unfortunately. <laughs> now let us speaking of business, my good friend. Let us talk about your current employee, because you are currently sure. with uh, the the brand. I would say of the up and coming, especially the tech players. Uh, Kiesel. So Johnny Highland is he's he's a he's a Kiesel guy, which surprised me a little bit, because mm. Kiesel's not the first brand that I think of when I think of, you know, warp speed chicken picking. Right. Um, <laughs> but how how's it how's it been to to work there, of the you know, it's, you know, if you don't mind me asking, of course. Sure, sure. No, it's fine. Um, well, it's great. Number one on a, a few different levels, um, but. Um, you know, every job comes with its challenges. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, where when coming from Dunlop, I mean, I was already kind of working in co you know cooperation with Kiesel for about two and a half years prior to leaving before coming on board officially with Kiesel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a thing where Jeff was like, "Hey, man, I see you're." You know, we became friends at, at NAM uh, over the years. Back when I was at EMG, I was always trying to say, "Hey, man, how do we get some EMGs in those Kiesels? Like, let's work together." And uh, and every time I come over to the booth, he was like, "Hey, man, well, no, we're not doing that this year. But like, uh, here, check out this guitar." And I'm like, "Oh, cool. Whoa, man, does this come in green? Oh, yeah, I could do it in green. I could do it." You know, so we just have these conversations, and uh, I'm like, "Well, one of these days, man, I'm gonna order some guitars from you," um, and. He saw me playing some Mayon. I had a Mayonez guitar. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, which is a great company. Uh, Dawid over there is amazing, and that that whole the whole crew are really wonderful people. Um, they usually always bring me little like vials of some sort of Polish alcohol or something like when at Nam, <laughs> which is um, super cool. But the uh, he he was like, oh well, I you know maybe I should just make you a couple of guitars or send you some samples so that you got some Kiesels and um, we can start there. And I was like, oh dude, if you're sending me guitars, let's talk. You know, like I'm nobody <laughs> else is sending me uh, guitars, uh, you know, exclusively or anything. So he said, well, just here I'll send you a couple samples to hold on to for a bit, and then while while you're checking them out, like let's have you spec out a couple of guitars. And so okay. So the first couple of guitars were were when the Vader was brand new, and um, I've got two Vaders. I got a six and a seven string, uh, both fan fret, uh, multi scale, and those that kind of like um, just changed my my whole perspective. Um, and and as, as uh, that was the first year, and then like the second year, he made me a couple of Zeus, the single cut, fan mm. fret, six and seven string, and. In the process of me getting those guitars, a lot of artists in my peripheral were like, "Hey, man, so tell you know, tell me more about your Kiesel guitars, and maybe I want to be an artist over there." And I was like, "Yeah, man, you know." So, uh, it was just like a natural thing. He planted some 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 guitars with me, and uh, a bunch of artists around me were ended up being in need, and I was like, "Hey, I'll I'll I'll, I'll set you up with a connection." Um, and you know, probably half of those people got signed over at at, at Kiesel um, as I as I kind of handed them off, and then coming coming over from Dunlop uh, a couple years ago, it was actually <clears throat> a really big relief in a lot of ways. Dunlop is amazing, um, but it was a very and uh, and as far as rock and roll jobs go, it was kind of a high pressure situation in that uh, I was the director there and I was running. Um, you know, AR meetings uh, once a week and being involved in all these high-end marketing meetings and um, and you just kind of get privy to all the little things that are working well and not working well and what are our challenges and um, on one hand you're like, man, that's really interesting and then a couple of years go by and you're like, man, I just want to play guitar and like hang out with artists like <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I yeah. mean, the job part of it is is cool, but um, and and being a director and having a team and it, it, it theoretically is cool, but uh, depending on your team and 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 their ability, right? And my team was good; like they're really really able people. Um, but I think they had been there too too long by the time I showed up, and it was a little bit of like. They kind of, the, the, their gas tank was running low, so yeah. you know uh, uh, as far as enthusiasm. So when I came to to Kiesel, like I explained to Jeff, you know where I'd been, what I'd been going through, and uh, with that current situation, and he was like, "Hey man, like I just want you to 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 work towards associating our brand with the biggest names possible. You know, like we already have a really great roster, and you've already helped put a handful of those people on the roster before you're even." came here so i want you to do more of that and uh and help guide us you know a little bit from your experience you know it's like i already have a good good idea of where i want to go and what i'm up to but uh you know you you get to be uh, a bit of an advisor here so when when 
when you have an idea, like you don't have to convince a whole team like you do at Dunlop. You have to convince one person here, um, and and I can make it make it go if that's the case, which is cool. Um, you know, benevolent dictatorships, you know, uh, are are interesting. <laughs> uh, even though there was a big team at Dunlop, and you did have to kind of get um, majority buy-in there, there were it really was a one-person, you know thing there as well jimmy was the one if he if he felt strongly about it he would he would kind of overrule uh things but uh i digress i guess really what what is interesting about about kiesel and 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 through the pandemic it's it's gotten more it's been more interesting i guess i should say like because when i took the gig i was like yeah man you know i'm a northern california kid but um i'll come down and i'll i'll live in la for a little while and give it a shot so i'll be closer to the kiesel headquarters mm-hmm. which is in escondido it's another two and a half three hour drive from hollywood but i figured i would stay there for a couple of years and and give it a shot let the podcast grow and see what happens um you know got got to stay there for a year and then pandemic hit and uh that shifted, but I did enjoy a year of of being very close of to all the venues in Hollywood and taking an Uber over, you know, to to this big venue, and then the same day taking another Uber over here and being able to, um, you know, work with artists so closely, so easily, versus living in the far North Bay and driving an hour just to get to the city and then sitting in traffic and. It was a little bit different situation, um, you know, not as beautiful nature uh, uh, in L.A., of course, but mm. the the overall vibe is great because where we're at is um, like we are we're, we've been at capacity this whole last year. Like that's the interesting thing. Like we a lot of companies are always much bigger companies than us need a lot more growth consistently where we. Um, and and they 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 can handle an extensive amount of growth where Kiesel cannot. We mm-hmm. we're we like we don't want to. Jeff doesn't want to exceed building more than like around forty five hundred guitars a year because we are going a. That means that we'd have to create a, a new shift, hire a bunch of more people to have on on payroll, and it just squeezes the resource in, in, in a way that ultimately has the possibility of degrading the quality, degrading yeah. what we're offering, right? And he's very sensitive to that, um, doesn't want anything like that to, to be a part of the the equation. So, uh, you know, we're, we're in, a, in an interesting place that we didn't we really didn't expect, like, the pandemic to make 2020 the best year of Kiesel business ever we blew records out every week every yeah. month every quarter it just and and then we ended in it with the best situation and we and it's rolling into 2021 like nothing has changed like we don't we can't expect this to stay this way but with the popularity like normally we have i mean us being busy is having five to six hundred builds in at a time kind of rolling that's plenty busy we're making money we're pay- you know everything's good but we have i think for the about the last seven months maybe a little longer we've had we've had over a thousand builds in the system 
rolling consistently. Wow. So that has just been we and, and we you know to manage that it's like it's a it's a it's a really strange situation because again he doesn't really want to build more guitars, and so to slow that down a little bit, it, you know, I'm, he's had to um, increase the cost a little here, a little there, to to hopefully slow it down a little bit, but it's it it doesn't seem to slow it down the way that he originally thought it was going to. No. So I don't know. We'll see. Like maybe, maybe Jeff will want to eventually, you know, uh, expand our ability to, to make more guitars. Uh, but right now uh, it's just, it's just about, uh, you know, us aligning ourselves with uh, great players. And recently, We've had a couple of great female players come on to the roster that we're excited about. We had uh, uh, Maru Martinez come in, and we had uh, I just we just announced uh, or just kind of uh, softly announced uh, uh, Loy. Uh, how do I say her? Loida. Loida is her name. I forget how to say her last name, but she's from Par- Par- Paraguay, and. Um, She's she's an incredible talent, uh, and we had Stratton Marshall just join up, and uh, you know a handful of people that are coming on. That's like really exciting lately. Um, we had Al Joseph come on last year. We had uh, David Maxim come on, kind of early, much early, like probably almost a year and a half ago. Um, and he's from Serbia, so like, and he's one hmm. of the the guys kind of in the the realm next to Pliny or Pliny, you know, and. Um, Aaron Marshall and he's kind of in that group, you know, those guys. So I don't know. I'm 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 rambling now. You ask me another question. <laughs> no, no. I think it's I think it's cool, and uh, I you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting period for guitar build, particularly for builders for independent builders. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. We noticed that I work at Manson's Guitars over here, and we noticed that the uh the period especially the first lockdown here in the UK um we had a very busy time because you got a situation where and it'd be exactly the same for for Kiesel where we're t- let's let's not you know dance around this thing we're talking in we're in the luxury market right nobody right. needs nobody needs a guitar to you know it's not like buying bread or milk they're Correct. they're they're buying a thing because they're into it However, if you get a situation where a bunch of people have um, the fiscal wherewithal, shall we say, to be able to purchase an instrument of that nature um, at their leisure, as it were, and they've suddenly got an abundance of free time, Mm. what are they going to put their money into? They're going to put it into kit. Like the pedal pedal Mm -hmm. sales went through the roof during lockdown because people were like, right, right. Can't gig. What we're gonna do? Guinness record numbers of loopers going out the door and people buying like stuff they've never tried before and, and all that sort of kit. And it, but the thing is that's interesting from, and this is this this is the same in the pet game as well. Like if you if you're not doing as a as a company as a company that is manifesting a physical object that somebody has a, a deep physical interaction with, if you don't deliver the goods nowadays. It's not going to work. So it's 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 cool to be busy, but it's cool when you stay busy, not just from a mm-hmm. financial point of view, but it shows that the work is going out there and it's satisfying the end user. And 
the companies that can do that, that's great. You know, I mean, the Kiesel, the Kiesel thing I've been aware of since, um, I think it really started coming to the fore the last couple of years. But I remember there was a, was there like a kind of Carvin Kiesel crossover period? Because I remember the Carvins from way back in the day, they were making some mad stuff. It was all your Alan Holdsworths and people like that. Oh, yeah. And for those that don't know, yeah, Kiesel was Carvin. Um, and we still have the Carvin name reserved for um, guitars. We still own that. It's still um, Jeff Kiesel and Mark Kiesel who ran the 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 Carvin shop that are running this shop now. And it's, uh, it's really just that Jeff took it over and... The other, they're Jeff's cousin and uncle, uh, Mark's brother and son, ran the electronics portion and kind of had a, a difference of opinion on how to move forward. And the electronics actually side of things kind of said, hey, you know, we want to go this route and we think we're going to do better without the guitars. And mm-hmm. t- Jeff and Mark were kind of like, hmm, okay, really? You think really okay well fine we'll we'll go to we'll do the guitars up on our own and um you know it's kind of shown almost immediately like that the electronics almost immediately went out of business um and they're mm. they're still kind of available in some capacity um they've kind of went out of business and came back and now they're like this weird it's a weird scenario i'm not sure exactly i can't really speak to the details of that at this point but but Jeff taking over the helm, you know, has really, while he has made his share of mistakes along the way, um, uh, they he has mostly um, made this company super uh, relevant all over again. And and one of them is through his willingness to be so available through live uh, broadcasts, you know, a couple times a week where he, he'll do shop walks, you know, so... Uh, if you have a guitar on order and he's walking through and he's picking up random guitars, he's like, oh, who's this for? Oh, it's almost done. Look, oh, look, it's for you, Mark Smith. Check it out. And, and everybody's like tuning in going, no way, that was my guitar. You know, and so you might see your guitar in process in a shop walk, you know, which is really cool. Um, and then, you know, he, he, one of the biggest things I think that really set this all in motion in a beautiful way was that he, instead of taking the philosophy of like, hey, because Carvin, they were attempting to uh, compete with a lot of uh, import guitars uh, price-wise uh, mm-hmm. while building everything here in the U.S. with U.S. labor, with U.S. labor costs. And that was, that, that, there was already a narrow margin but then to to try to compete and build guitars in the US at the 7.99, 8.99, 9.99 price range uh is really difficult to yeah. and and to use you know the quality materials that you know that you should be using. So Jeff Jeff kind of switched that and shifted it towards said, "Hey, you know what? We're not going down market. We're going up market." And so they you what they what the just to give you a contrast in numbers um in the heyday of Carvin, they they would average about six thousand guitars a year, okay, at and the average price of the guitar was uh I if I could be 
off on this a little bit, but I believe it was in that range. It was that eight ninety nine to like eleven ninety nine range. Those were the average mm-hmm. pricings of those six thousand guitars. You know, and then you have X amount that are all the super custom and with all the extra bells and whistles. But where we're at now is we, you know, we average. We, well, we're at capacity, so we're somewhere between four thousand to forty five hundred guitars a year. Um, so we're we're making significantly less instruments at a higher quality, and the average cost, the average sale, is about two thousand to twenty three hundred dollars per guitar, right? So, mm. um, in a lot of ways, again, you know, it's not. I mean, th- these are people that that have extra cash, right? That people that can. You're not. This isn't a staple business, <laughs> you know, um, as you as you were saying before. So, but we're. It, but it's really, it's been a good thing because uh, for him to put his foot down and say, no, 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 we're gonna have as much integrity and as much quality as we can muster, and we're not going to try to even compete with ESP or Ibanez import line. Mm-hmm. It's not even a thing, you know. Our our. Um, our most inexpensive instrument right now that you can spec, I think, comes in around eleven ninety nine or twelve ninety nine. So it's still not crazy, you know. And, and no. for for somebody that's ready to spend eight ninety nine on a guitar, twelve ninety nine is not too out of that. You know, you could spend a little more time um, saving and potentially borrow some some from mom. You know, you never know <laughs> uh, to 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 pick out a Kiesel spec guitar and get it the color you want. Yeah, you know, and a couple of different things that are maybe different. So, well, it's it's interesting in the sense that uh, I think the attitude, and I noticed this from the pick side of things, that the attitude is very different now to the way kit used to be. Because I remember growing up in the nineties, it was like you have Fender and Gibson, or rather, I should say, if we're being really spot on here, you have the U.S. standard, or you have a Les Paul Studio. At least that was the that was the guitar in Scotland was the mm-hmm, wine red mm-hmm. Les Paul Studio with gold hardware, not the Chrome. Yep, <laughs> not the Chrome. Don't know why that's the case, but that's you know it's the the full Scott Kelly. I always think of that because that's always <laughs> what I picture him with back in the day. Um, and people had MXR and Boss or Multi, and then they might have a fancy drive. Um. And the attitude towards buying gear at a higher level and saying, no, 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 I want this to do this thing and I want this to be this way. People don't mind doing that because it's been shown that you can go to a smaller company. And I think it's I think it's interesting f- from a guitar player's perspective to say, instead of people trying to get the Swiss Army thing, where they want a guitar mm. that's going to do neo soul and grindcore and jazz, like guitarists have made. I I don't know whether it's been a conscious thing, but they've made peace with the notion that actually they're not going to do that. So you're not going to go and buy a solar with a single fluence in it and no tone controls, and then go and join a wedding band. You're not. It, it's <laughs> not. It's not a thing. So if if somebody wants it to be, you know, back in the day. If you wanted somebody to say, like, go to a company and say, I want an eight-string, multi-scale, fan, uh, like uh, tempered frets with a uh, real complicated, like headless design with a vibrato, with these specific pickups in it that are only for playing high gain, people would have been like, that is that a thing? 
like You're do mad. I need to get <laughs> do I need to go to the UN about this? Whereas now it's like that's much it's it's not exactly like off the peg, but that's much more commonplace. And I think in in the from a street level selling guitars perspective, I think it's much more sensible for you as a as an independent brand building at that level who want to maintain um a certain level of um finesse and mm. to have a certain name there's no point in getting involved in the mid-range because the mid-range is is and w- will always be the most hotly contested part of the market because that's the stuff mm-hmm. that's churning the 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 sort of 450 800 pound mark or mm-hmm. up to a thousand dollars that's the stuff that churns all day every day in every part of the world um Whereas when you get into the the higher tier, it's people that are taking it more seriously, or you know they've decided that they they don't want the middleman, they want to do it properly, do it the right way, to make their style of music, and they're gonna say, I want this to do this one thing. I'm being honest with myself, I'm gonna play into my Kemper, and I'm gonna do you know, but that people don't mind spending the money on quality products. It's the same thing with pedals. Um, mm. like when Earthquaker came along and suddenly people went hey I can have a really dope looking board that makes loads of weird noises <laughs> cool I don't have to stick with the delay and overdrive like you know my parents did or you know the bands that I listened to growing up who went straight into a Marshall with a with a Mark 1.5 tone bender or something like I don't I can do that if I want to but I don't have to do that Um, I right. think it's a really cool time to for guitarists to be especially guitarists because they're much more gear um centric rather than conscious i think is a better way of explaining it (laughs) because i think bassists tend to kind of go i need to do a job i want it to work and be reliable and have flexibility in and of itself rather than it being like racks and racks and racks of stuff um but you know they want to measure twice and cut once and i think that's right I think that's a, a good attitude to have in the modern, because you've got the flexibility of that in the modern era. And I can appreciate, um, I can really appreciate where, where the technology has gone, you know, and, and all the different things. Like I look at like a brand like Strandberg, who I've mm. had a Strandberg before. Um, I'm, I'm friends with Ola. Um, I, I, as that brand was getting started, I was definitely a part of um, the early kind of crew that was, uh, helping support that scenario. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think he's, he's a wonderful person who's done some interesting things with the guitar and, uh, and, and and it rightfully so deserves, um, some, some, some credit and some interest. Um, at the same time, the, the technology of where guitar goes is, it's always like, I think we do this every couple of years, right? It's like, we go, oh, let's like, now this is the new thing and it's and, and now everybody's got to have uh, some experience with it and and then and and you know we, we get fixated on on gear and we're like wow gear oh the quality the gear the gear the gear the gear and then and then and then a player comes along uh that has an old strat that is completely divorced from all this modern gear and everybody goes oh wait but playing is more important Oh, like just mm. learning to play your inst- just writing actual songs, like saying something with your instrument instead of just showing off a bunch of technique. Oh, and so then everybody go. It's like it's like I I think about it in my own personal context. 
as and I'm kind of th- I'm thankful that like when I picked up the guitar that grunge was the prominent thing because there were so many simple yet uh creative songs out at that time that mm-hmm. I was you know just like trying to learn um what what was it was it come as you are I think uh, uh by Nirvana dun, 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 dun. you know like this little this little yeah. kind of riff right you know um I'm thankful for those things and the Soundgarden riffs, you know, and uh, Outshined and little that were in Drop D that taught me how, what Drop D was, you know, and the simple things of of creating and being freed and, 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 and remembering, taking the, the focus out a little bit, remembering that these are all great tools and you don't need all of them. Mm-hmm. And you don't, matter of fact, you don't need most of them, I would say, you, you know, you... Depending on what your what like it all depends like what is your goal like what do you, and and who are you and if you don't know what your goal is or who you are then maybe you need all of them for a while to figure it out you know um, but ultimately when you start to sort out who you are and what your tendencies are and you have some sort of even if it's a vague goal I'm kind of going in that direction then. Then you can the answers come because you're like, oh well, I need one of those, and I want a little bit of that sauce and a little bit of this seasoning, and mm-hmm. here we go. Um, so, so you know, in a lot, in a in an in a interesting way, I think I say all that to say that like the other, which pick was that that just dropped, bro? Uh, well, it's funny you should ask because that was my uh, Swart JTD XL signature pick made of cowbone. Wow. That's super oh, yeah. good answer. Oh, do you want to actually? I know the view, then the listeners won't be able to see this, but um, that's yeah. Show me. Oh, look at that! So that's uh, right. that's four mil of camel bone right there. Whoa! No messing. <laughs> I get the good stuff. It's the f- four <laughs> mil of camel bone. Yeah, it's, I am it's not going to make uh, a, a a nasty joke about that. Um, it's called the Silk Road. The Silk Road. Yeah. Because we did, we did the GTDXL, which was cowbone, and then he said, "Oh, I've got camelbone." I said, "We'll call it Silk Road." You know, <laughs> I um, love it. So it's su- it's super nice, but um, but yes, sorry, I doesn't it slipped out of my hands. Coming up in the grunge era, I think is very handy because it was still a very, and I I don't I don't harp on technicality. I grew up listening to Michelangelo Basio and you know like Dave mm-hmm. Smith and you know all these sorts of people. Adrian, especially Maiden, Maiden and Priest, like early Priest. Mm. Um, but grunge was the last, if I'm going to put my flag on the ground here and say grunge was the last time in a mainstream sense from a heavy perspective or a heavier alternative perspective that it was still very much a song-focused era. Mm. And you had an orchestration an orchestral approach or a compositional approach from bands like Soundgarden where they had tunings for every possible song. Um, but they they never forgot that it needed hooks, it needed structure, and it wasn't about ripping it up. It was about delivering the goods. It was a song first thing. And you had, I mean, Stone Gossard and Mike McCready can play all day. That's not really the issue here. But if they if they had just been out doing what they did and it hadn't been framed in the context of those songs, we wouldn't be talking about 
10 and alive and all that sort of stuff, you know, 30 mm. years on. Um, so it's, I find it's a, and actually I, I am going to ask you about this because I am curious about this. You are involved in, uh, not on, <laughs> you haven't done this deliberately, but the Kiesel as a brand um, and Dunlop with a lot of their modern players like Andy James, John Petrucci, um, they are, there's a lot of tech and prog metal stuff out there. Your boys Pliny and, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know, like, from your perspective as a player, I know you play a lot of heavy stuff as well, but from your perspective as a player, what do you, how do you view this, this era of guitarists? And I'm not talking about, there's always going to be, there's always going to be your Royal Albert Hall boys, like your John Mayers and Bonamassas and people like that. And they're, they're off, they're off to the side over here because they're coming up very much a traditional, the Clapton route and, and all that sort of thing. But sure. the, the modern guys, your Tim Henson's and, and all that sort of jazz, like, what do you think, what do you think about them as, as an, a, an evolution of the guitar in the modern sense? Hmm. Nice light I question love for it. you there. No, I love, I love, I love. I see. This is the and it's and it's. It, I'm I'm thankful for your your thoughtful questions. Um, and the. I'll, I mean, I was there as Polyphia was getting started too. You asked those guys, and they're like, "Bro, you were there. You know, you were like one of the first guys to like ready to like support us. You like you understood it." And um. For 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 me, it's like uh. I like I like that you kind of put the the Al- Royal Albert Hall people off to the side, the John Mayers and all that stuff, in a way because, um, you know the 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 artisanal quality, the kind of the deep, uh, cut quality of 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 how instrumental guitar, and the 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 solo player has evolved, um, had it's kind of had to create its own little pocket, right? Like it's like we have. Steve Vai and Joe Satriani um, mm-hmm. and Ingve Malmsteen to kind of thank for for popularizing uh, in a way. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of other players. I'm not going to try to mention all of them, but those are kind of maybe some of the bigger ones that seem to have have uh, that are repeatedly like named as like oh like. If it wasn't for Ingve, if it wasn't for Satch, if it wasn't for Vi, yeah, for sure, I I really wouldn't know what I'm up to. Um, I wouldn't be here being this person I am, and I love what I, the thing about it is is that not too shortly after, I mean, I, after Vi put out a few more records after Passion and Warfare, like I honestly was like, oh well, you know, instrumental guitar probably isn't going to be a thing, <laughs> you know, like for in a mainstream way. You know, I didn't really ever foresee this, um, but I credit, I predominantly credit Tosin for for the new for the new wave of things. And I know there, I may be missing one or two other people that that were close to being as uh, close to it, but where his efforts um, merged, he, you know, he took he took he had a he's he harnessed the sound of gent slash mashuga you know mm-hmm. and took a you know an element of the holdsworthian thing that frederick thordendahl was up to or is up to 
and and then brought in the electronica uh, and kind of math rock slash jazz uh, prog element into that, and and it's been so confounding to so many of us that um, in itself, it's like. I, I think that most of people, even we're at a place now because we're ten years plus on for that band, mm-hmm. and um, it's not a they're not a new thing anymore to most of us that are, have been in this bubble and that have been in this universe that has uh, been kind of you know self fulfilling in a lot of ways. But the when I I think that a lot of people that are out there, people like Tim Henson and Scotty LePage and. Um, uh, young, you know, the Plinis and, and different cats like that um, have, even though they may not be a direct descendant as far as the the outward evolutionary thing, they all have Tosin and and Javier and that band to, to mm. kind of credit, like for breaking this wide open. Before you knew it, like by the second or third record of Animals as Leaders, there were full-on instrumental tours. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, and I remember just a few years prior to that, asking about that. I was asking, I was like, "Hey, what, what do you, do you think you're gonna get? Like maybe Scale the Summit and Animals of Leaders, and maybe Angel Vivaldi all together on it for for a tour?" And people were like, "Dude, that's so risky. Like, I don't think we would do that." Yeah. Two years later, like that's like a thing that everybody's asking for it. Yeah. You know, they're like, "Where's where's that that whole bill with no vocals?" <laughs> You know, well, it's like, it's like the um, it's like the thing with uh, with Periphery when they went out and then their vocalist I don't know what the scale I don't know what the skinny was I think he got ill or something and they mm. were filming a show and um, they said right I can't remember the guy's name I'm very sorry but the guy who Spencer? sings for yeah so he, the guy who sings for Periphery he um he couldn't do it so they were like well do you know what you guys have all come down we're gonna do the show anyway. And they do the whole show with it. And I watched the footage of that. People are going, like, giving it large. And the thing that, the moment that cemented, uh, the moment that cemented this for me, from from a guitarist perspective, growing up in the, you know, growing up in the metal scene and everything, is seeing, seeing animals as leaders. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a brutal assault. And they're playing, they get to the end of the set, and they're playing Cafo, the single. Um, <laughs> they're playing they're they're playing Cafo, and they get to that bit um, where it goes all quiet, and uh, your boy Javier starts clapping, right? And the crowd now, this isn't Cheryl Crow. This isn't people going every day is a winding road. Do you know what I mean? They're going, yeah, like clapping in polyrhythms to an instrumental band on mass as a crowd at a festival. Do you know what I mean? Like I I can't imagine what it'd be like. Obviously I can never experience this, but what it'd be like to be um fifteen or sixteen now mm. getting into heavy music and somebody says, Oh I heard you I heard you were listening to a bit of heavy stuff. Come and check this out and he plays you animals as leaders and that's your introduction to heavy music for the first time. It's not um Deftones it's not corn. Mm. It's not lip biscuit. It's not like, um, you know, anybody. It's not Judas we, Priest. It's, it's not, not Judas Metallica. Priest. It's yeah. It's not Metallica. And then hearing them like jumping in at that deep end and going, Jesus Christ, is this like 
not only from a, a heaviness standpoint, because they're doing the eight-string thing and everything, but he's a very, very, very technical player. Mm-hmm. But he didn't... And the reason why I think they have... They've had such a, a reach, and obviously that he's got his signature pick and everything with... And so Javier's got one as well, I think, the Prime Tone series. They've got the same pick, basically. Um, it's just different it's, color. It's just different colors, but... Uh, okay. and, 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 and Tosin has been off that one for a while he's back on he's been on the the smaller primetone jazz three um but things change you know but you know that is that is the nature of things but at the same time that's like um they again haven't forgotten as as much as he's got very long riffs which i think is a really cool thing because i i i I grew up a little listen to a lot of doom and war horse and scissor fight Mm. and all that sort of thing but but to have riffs that are like that long before you get a rep, I think that's really cool. And he's uh, he's not forgotten about the fact that their songs still it does ha- it does help that they've got their drummer is just out of this world. And we could talk about we could talk about the dr- the, the tech drummers of the modern day. That's a whole yeah. other conversation for a whole other time. Um, yep. But um, but these guys haven't forgotten what it's like. Uh, to to put the song first, I think a lot of modern heavy stuff suffered from that a bit, especially in especially in the death. I hate to say this, but especially in the death metal scene and the sort mm-hmm. of core centered stuff, death core, metal core, it became about satisfying a discipline rather than um, everyone was using this. I saw the same guitars on the same people shot in the same warehouse or the same field. I mustn't rule the field out. You get your field in your warehouse. <laughs> Got it. Gotta have side of the side of the mountain. That's very important. Um, But they're all using the same kit, and they were all using this. You know, wearing the same shirts with the same haircut, and that that's inevitable because that's what happened with new metal, and that's what happened with any style of music. But Mm -hmm. um, but it's really cool to see people making to make the technicality not a crutch, and to make it part of the songwriting process. And I think that it's, it's interesting how much these are the guys that are more interested in, or not more interested, but less, they're not afraid of being nerdy about equipment. They're not afraid of saying, mm-hmm. I, I do want to shave a little bit more time off what I'm doing so I can get more stuff in, or I want to hit everything more cleanly. I don't, I'm not afraid of using plugins. I'm not afraid of avoiding cabs altogether. I want, I, I want to have the right tools for the job. And that's what leads them to, you know, brands like Kiesel or Ormsby or, mm. um, sure. you know, or they're the guys that don't mind taking a risk on picks and saying, if I really yeah. want to shave that time off, I am going to pay $10, $15, dollars for a pick and get it like, you know, right on the money rather than say, I'm going to get this and just tear through them in five seconds. Because that's a, that's a very demanding style of play. And I've seen oh, you yeah. do a lot of that, like real hard right hand work when you were playing. Um, I love it, and I love the heavy stuff. It's cool. It's fun. It's the it's the one it's the one of the few areas in life where aggression is okay. <laughs> you know, so like it's one of the few areas. Uh, and I think in art, you know, expressing aggression, and you need an outlet. Like I think this is something that you know, it's this is the thing. So like, let me just say that because because you kind of came into this interview, you know, saying like, oh, the thing about your podcast is that you don't just 
dwell on the kit. You don't just hang out and talk about the gear endlessly. Some 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 interviews, some conversations kind of go lean heavier there, but um, but the thing is, is that everything is connected, mm-hmm. right? Like all the things are connected, and and what we're in the business of doing with these podcasts and with these. These interview, these gear rig rundowns that everybody has, you know. Oh, show me, show me, like, do you plug that into this? What, you know, like, oh man. So <laughs> if you want to plug that into this, then you can almost sound like this guy or this girl or whatever, right? Yeah. But I'm more interested. I mean, that is interesting. Don't get me wrong. That's part of why I'm in the business I'm in, you know, and I've stayed there. So, um, but overall, what I find more interesting is uh, the intent, you know? what What is the intent here? And sometimes you run in, and I, I mean, I'm going to say oftentimes, uh, I, I, I can spot a band or an artist that is like, kind of like what you're saying. They're, they're, they got the same, they're on the same hill, the same warehouse, the same thing, and they're, they're, they're fulfilling a, uh, you know, a, a, a carbon copy situation where like, well, there's one band or two or three bands doing really well in this genre, this even subgenre of metal, right? Is oftentimes what it is. It's like a mm-hmm. new subgenre, and 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 so other bands spring up to kind of fill the void because there's only one Mashuga, there's only one, and that's as much Mashuga as you are ever going to get. You just get that one. That one band that, that that changed the entire game, and but that's not enough for the world, right? Like we want more of that sound, we want more of that thing, and so you know people are inspired. We're, we 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 move towards it. We're like, you know what? Can I get that sound? Maybe I can get that sound, and then we kind of pass it along, and we already gets okay. Now everybody's got the sound. All right, now it's not interest as interesting, right? It's not as exo- it's not exotic anymore, and yeah. and so. Um, I digress. I mean, like that, the, the, the focusing on the gear and how to get the sounds is interesting to a point, but there's always going to be a point where, um, where we're like, okay, well it's available. I have a fractal. I have an ax effects, right? So like, I have all the sounds, like, what do you, what, what, what do you want me to have? I've got David Gilmore. I've got Jeff Beck. I've got what, I've got all the sounds. And if it's not there, I can, you know, tweak it a little bit and I can get the thing. So really where we're at in at this crossroads, you know, and we've been here for a while, but, you know, because technology continues to, 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 to kind of be right there with us. Um, it's really about like, what do you, what do you have to say? Like, and mm-hmm. how are you saying it? And can you say something meaningful or funny uh, or entertaining or sad or any of these? Can you, can you connect with something and then... Um, express it. And I think that that's far and away the most interesting, most valuable thing to come out of your time with music, with your your time with your instrument is like, is not to be overly concerned about like the technique. I mean, sometimes the technique makes sense. Like you said, you know, sometimes you need a faster pick to get to serve the song. And yep. that's interesting when we're serving the song or we're serving the intent you know, and so, but if your intent is to make flatline, non-dynamic music, then then go for it. Go for full force, like flatten it all out, like that. You might make a new genre. I won't be listening to it most likely, <laughs> but 
but there might be somebody out there that does and i think yeah. that encouraging somebody to to do to you know fly the freak flag so to speak you know whatever your particular thing is go full into it go wholeheartedly like fall free fall into it and and see where that takes you it may take you back you may explore all the pointy guitars uh in the world and think that that's the greatest thing and then one day you wake up and you're like actually all i need is a strat and single coils you know, maybe you, you know, and and because I see it happen over and over again, people, and I had it happen to myself. Like there, were, I went through a season of going, man, why would anybody ever play a Les Paul or a Strat? They're the the most common guitars, and I don't want to be in that club. You know, as I got older, and I my everything expanded and you know seasoned my life. I got more sauce on my life, and uh, I go, oh, actually, I kind of I want to be in that club. I like that club. That's an interesting place to be, <laughs> and um, and 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 because I have, I've 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 moved towards a more simple place in my life where I'm like I just I'm gonna see if I can make sense. Is there? Let me let me turn my stuff on today and see if can I make sense. If I'm not making sense, then I'll just no worry about. It. I'll I'll come back tomorrow, you know. And I'll worry. Yeah. I'll, I, and I'm more interested in that. That's my intent. That's where I'm at with it versus can I wow everybody because yeah especially for myself like I, I've seen everybody on the in the plant I'm, I'm friends with Andy James you can't get better like I'm not I'm not gonna achieve <laughs> what that guy's achieved this lifetime I'm just I don't even have the energy man it's already it's already come and gone like the, the time for that was you know eons ago if I was gonna spend the time for it so I guess what I'm trying to say ultimately is um you know the technology is cool, and and all this stuff isn't interesting. Um, and I love nerding out with you and other people like you about like the specific. Oh well, that's made out of freaking camel bone, friend. Like, and that's why it's great. And it's got the edges like this, and the tips like that. And I asked for it this way because it suits my needs, and I get the job done. Awesome, man. I'm 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 so excited for you. Um, but ultimately, like the question really in my mind comes down to like, okay, what, what are you doing with it? What's your intent? What are you, yeah. what are you trying to say? You know, that's really it. How close can you get to, I, I, I got this real B in my, no, it's not a beef, <laughs> but I got this real thing of like, uh, growing up and growing up with a, a lot of people who were very speed orientated. It was always about playing mm -hmm. fast and guitar playing was about playing fast and playing hard and playing loud and i the part of the reason i got into the whole pick thing and why it's so important to me is because i don't have a lot of equipment so you can see behind me because we are the visual thing this is it mm -hmm. and there's mandal there's a mandolin in there and a dulcimer and you know i've got mm. one acoustic and one bass and the pick thing enabled me to say I've got the guitars I want after lots of trading and trying stuff out and working in shops and knowing what I actually want it to do and not worrying about it doing, I don't need to do this, 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 this. I just want to do this thing and then I'll make all the stuff I want with that. But the, the pick always enabled me to feel a deeper bond with the instrument and because I do mostly like sparse stuff, I do a lot of improvising um, in fact, I do almost exclusively improvising now. I need to know 
that when I move my hand, rather because I used to sing a lot in front bands and all that, and I just stopped doing it because it the guitar felt a more natural voice to mm. use. It I say what I want to say with it, and so I can do that if I have. I finesse down the tools as much as I've got this massive collection of picks, and obviously I do. That's my job. Um, but the ones that I actually use on the day to day, the numbers are very small because it's very mm-hmm. personal. I still need to know what else is out there, um, but the it, it allows you to be objective and say, "I'm at peace with what I've got," and I make the music I want to make with it. You can't you can't see music as a competition because mm-hmm. it's not it's not about that. It's like saying, "Let's compete at painting." Let's compete at house mm-hmm. painting. Now that's the thing. Sure. I see you haven't finished the cornicing here. That means you did a worse job than the other guy. But if you're talking about doing, you can't compete at abstract expressionism or a landscape or, you know, because it's utterly, it's utterly subjective. So I think music is the same way. There's always going to be somebody faster. There's always going to be somebody louder, slower, more interesting, less interesting, more diverse. Um, But if you, if you think about how you're trying to get where you're going to go and you don't think about whether or not, and it's the that's the hardest thing to do, is to not think about whether or not anybody's going to dig it, then that's what people latch on to. And they go, well, this, guy, this guy's been straight and he's doing what he, what he, in his core, what he wants to do. And I'm engaging mm-hmm. with that because I can go and listen to whatever. And we're in the modern era. You can go and listen to whatever you want from any period in time, you know, back to old recordings from Sumeria and you know, mm-hmm. whatever you like. But if you find something that resonates with you, it's probably because that person's just said, oh, for God's sake, I just want to do this. And that's how they've ended up where they are. And, you know, I think that that's important. Mm-hmm. So we both said the same thing in a long way. And I think that that's very fair. I like it. <laughs> I li- I li- and, I- and I like what you said. You said... um I have what I want and I'm at peace with it. I think something like mm-hmm. that you said and um that's a I, I you know that's a rare statement I think um y- even in the modern era and it's more more rare because there's so many options, right? And um and just a reminder to those listeners out there that I mean I know everybody's different. Some people thrive with um with lots of choice. But um studies have shown that um really Creativity is at its peak usually with the fewer amount of options. So, and I remember, you know, when I first started recording, I just remember like, I, cause I, I, I found a box of tapes that I, from my four track. And uh, so wow. I went on, I went on to reverb.com and bought a old four track so that I could listen to these tapes and maybe put them on digital. Not that they're any good. It's just, just nostalgia, you know? And, um, sure. But I remember ha- having so few options. Um, but every day I get home from work, man, or doing whatever it is I was doing to make money at the time, and all I could think about was like, you know, how do I how do I create something with that with those three things that I had? You know, I had a a, 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 a drum beat machine that was horrible, and I had a horrible a couple horrible mics. Uh, hor- you know, not horrible guitar, but like n- guitars weren't set up well. Like I didn't know how to, all these things. And, um, but yet it was, I found it interesting to, 
to see if there was something that I could put on that that audio palette, um, mm. and 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 see, you know, and if there was a cam, if the canvas was a- available for me, you know, and and I'm st- I feel like I'm still that person. I feel like I'm still doing that, but I but I have multiple times like felt very clearly that um, the more options I had, um, you know, wasn't necessarily better. Uh, yeah. So, so just kind of being guided by you know the simplicity of the thing and and, and, and a reductionist approach uh, tends to be um, the thing that gets things done. Uh, at least in my world, and when I watched, I've been in a lot of sessions with great artists. I've done a lot of producing of videos with for EMG TV. Um, and most most all of the biggest videos that came out of that were were my era when I was there. I uh, did some really big stuff for Dunlop sessions and Dunlop, you know blah, 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 but, and, and watching, being the person that was, you know, facilitating the whole scene, um, I saw a lot of artists go through this scenario where they had all the options, they don't have very much, and the, the, the ones that were able to adopt the attitude of like, oh, well, that's what's, that's, that's what you got? Cool, I'll use it. Let's go. Let's go. We had to get, let's, let's, let's get to, let's get to work. What are you waiting for? Is is the record button pressed yet? That was that's mm-hmm. been the, my favorite, and I, I'll tell you, from an insider's point of view, two two the two artists that have embodied that the the best for me were um, Eric Gales, and uh, so if you don't know Eric Gales, just dial up to Eric Gales, it's look ridiculous. for his Dunlop sessions, ridiculous, phenomenal, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I actually actually started the Dunlop sessions series based on him. And he was the first one we recorded, even it was the second one we released. Uh, but he, in that session, you should just know that there was no second takes of anything for any reason. He was full of confidence. He walked in and he's like, oh, that's what you got? All right, let's plug this in, plug that in. He's joking, ha, 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 joking, warming up. Oh, you guys want, you ready to try it? All the lights are all good? Okay, let's give it a shot. Okay, that was good. Let's do the next song. Oh, you don't you don't want to do a, a second take? No, we're fine. Did that four times, and I was like, okay. So some people, you know, I was over at EMG TV, and we did ten takes, eight takes, sixteen takes. I granted the the, the style of music lends itself. You know, a, a blues based thing lends itself. There's a few less notes than Andy James is playing, right? Uh, a lot less, but there's also something to be said for. Uh, knowing who you are and knowing what your your intent is, right? The second artist that really embodied that for me um, was the band Snarky Puppy. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna be. I, I just I could gush for days about uh, Michael League and Mark Latiri and the whole band. Um, but it wasn't didn't happen just once to me. It's happened like seven or eight times where. They would come through town. They were always in the Bay Area. They come through town and they're like, "Hey, man, you got anything cool?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'll come down and I'll bring you a little care package, a little pedal here, some strings here, picks there, whatever." And it didn't matter what I brought them. They're like, "Oh, interesting. I'll use it tonight." And I'm like, "Wait, who are you? That's that's not that's that's not what people do. They go, oh, I'll take it home and I'll pl- I'll practice. I'll see if I can come up with something that." work they're like so open and so ready uh to absorb and use what is present i was like man you guys are so zen and it drives me nuts because i work with i mean 
all these amazing artists and nine tenths of them can't do what you guys do uh just on the fly they just throw it down they're like oh dude well but also form of music right they have a certain amount of improv and a certain amount of like mm-hmm. space in the music that allows for a little experimentation you know so it's not yeah. hard and fast it's got to sound like this there's a flanger on chorus four blah 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 it's not that thing you yeah know? well all i was gonna say was on a on a note of a band like that um from an improviser's point of view when you have especially in a group context when you fun and it's a rare thing to find which is why these bands really stick out but in a group context when you fundamentally trust the other people you're playing with and it goes beyond the musicality and it goes into a i'm going to do a thing and matey isn't going to look at me and go who's this clown you know you know that inside mm. that that's not going to happen then you relax into what you're doing and you know that if you if you only need to play two or three notes here you can i mean they're all scored they're like joke they're as a band they're like joke tight so that's not that's not really the issue here but if you if you are that confident in your ability to play as a unit then toss in another like the pedal thing saying oh, i brought you this envelope filter down oh yeah i'll whack it in there you you know enough to say like i can feel this out while i'm doing it i'm not going to ride the thing for like two hours but i can you know i'm confident right. enough to chuck it in there but all of that comes from that sort of stuff comes from knowing that the people around you are not even a net it's just not even an issue uh, and that the only reason that people have come to see the show is because you are who you are and you're doing what you're doing. So those elements of, am I going to have a rotter or am I going to, you know, am I going to stink the place up? They're, it's not <laughs> like they, they don't evaporate, but they're less present because people are there because they've accepted the style of music you make. And that's, mm. once that aspect of the performance is taken care of, doesn't freak you out as much but it, but yeah they're crazy ridiculous bunch of people um it's well said I, I i i can appreciate where you're going with that and it i i will add uh i don't know if you are follow uh or or familiar you know very familiar with dave Chappelle, but um he uh he recently mm-hmm. got his show back and all this stuff right like he got paid by comedy central and all this stuff and he put out a there's a, a piece I think it's called Redemption Song or something that he he put out and Netflix put out and I loved because um, we're kind of talking about you're you're edging up against acceptance and 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 kind of self worth a little bit you know yeah. when you step on stage and you're doing your thing and um, he he brought up the point of like he's like man he's like these cowards they're just waiting for you to fail it's like I'm gonna call them what they are right like they're cowards like and so the moment that 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 if you you know, the moment that you do one thing wrong or, 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 or something that's, you know, not acceptable to that particular faction of people or perception or point of view, you know, these people that haven't done anything tend to be the, the loudest and, and tend to be, the, the, they're waiting for something, you know, unfavorable to happen so they can clamp down on you um, in that way. Because that's, I think a lot of artists fear in some ways is that like, hey, I'm going to put my thing out there. And it's gonna get ill received, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I loved that I had never heard it in this in that perspective where he was like, "No, you guys are you guys are, are, are acting like critics and acting like you know, like you're cowards, 
You're not you're not putting yourself out there like I am. You're not actually owning who you are and your direction and doing the thing. You're just sitting back there and being an armchair critic and that's cowardly and you know and he was using it in a different context and I'm paraphrasing heavily but um I I think it's it's not uh you know I think it's I think it's worth mentioning actually you know just to say that in the grand scheme of of the creative process there's going to be a lot of doubt um you, you know I I I find it interesting when like recently as I've you know started to to release some of this hip hop project that I'm 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 in like just the doubt of like does anybody going to care and then I'm like I don't really care if anybody cares too much I mean I want to be accepted but um at the same time like I just feel compelled to do a thing so I'm just going to do it you know and if you don't like it it's all right have enjoy not liking it <laughs> yeah know? that's the right attitude to have I mean that's one thing that I loved about hip hop since the beginning since I remember hearing um or you know Early, early hip-hop, I remember, I mean, my first exposure was really probably Run DMC hanging out with Aerosmith on a- MTV. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there was there was other things. I mean, I'd heard other, uh, you know, Rapper's Delight and stuff like that in passing, but, like, that was in my face. Like, seeing Run DMC rocking out, like, mashing two styles, it felt like a, it's like, wow, right? You know, it's like, this isn't Michael Jackson, this isn't... This isn't Aerosmith by themselves doing the thing that they normally, you know, it's like this thing. And so um, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I didn't I didn't feel like I've never been beholden to like have to stay in one style necessarily. Even when I was in metal, I was always trying to like, oh, can I, you know, kind of create a new subgenre? I'll take the things that I like and mash them up and, you know, maybe it'll be cool. It's, if it's fun to me, then I'll, I'll, at least I'll be enjoying it. And um, with this hip hop effort, it's really, it's really kind of just like it's just trying to be honest with myself, with like just be. And I'm 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 a little funny at times, and I'm a little serious at times, and I'm definitely sincere all the time, except for occasionally when I'm not, you know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it, it's uh, it's and it's just uh, it's like just reflecting. I'm just reflecting on the things, and I'm can I can I. And that was a question that came up when I moved back home uh, from L.A. and I was here and I had a couple of friends of mine that had been doing hip hop for like the last 10 years, like not re- releasing some of it, but it's mostly having fun. And uh, yeah. and they came over. They're like, hey, man, can you help us make a track? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll help you make a track. Like in the, me- in the meantime, they're like, hey, how, how about you jump on this track? And I'm like, oh, man, I used to do that, but I'm not I'm not trying to be a rapper, dude. Like, that's not my thing, you know, and they're like come on and i'm like all right you leave it here and i'll 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 try and see what happens and and i think having the doubt around it a little bit actually is good because that that humility is there in the doubt right like not, not as long as it's not excessive right and mm-hmm. um and i just i just pose that question to me i'm like i mean i like the genre i like the music can i can i find a voice with it or and i and I just naturally, I mean, what you hear is I didn't force any of that. I didn't try too hard with any of it, um, except for just to not, you know, clean it up, edit it, and make it not sound, um, you know, uh, super, um, you know, uh, like just beginner. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I even though 
Um, it still is that, you know, in a lot of ways. And th- this this album was just kind of like, oh, or this this EP album. It's like three songs, but um, it's just kind of inter- introductory. Uh, I just finished writing and laying out the second EP, um, and I have plans for a third EP because each one of them is going to be three songs. You know, three songs, three songs, three songs. I like it. And and uh, and I'm kind of loosely basing the titles off of Star Wars. The first one was called A New Dope. The new one's going to be called Empire Strikes Whack. Um, and the third one's going to be called Return of the Yogi. Nice. Um, you're getting, you know, nobody knows that. This is the first I've ever said that publicly. So um, that's an not, exclusive not anybody view of the Pledge of Yeah, dude, <laughs> total exclusive. Um, but just having fun. The second one's going to be more, you know, the, the color's going to be red. It's going to be a little more ego. Uh, driven the beats are heavier i'm using a different producer they're trapped there's bigger bassier things i'm exploring a little bit more of ego um and and darker elements you know uh mm. in in the lyrics and a little more conceptual and wh- wh- whatever you know i don't know i'm just having fun so that's i think uh i think that's the point like if you're not having fun if you're if you're not getting um something interesting out of it or you're not supplying some sort of service i don't know maybe you shouldn't be doing it you know um and that goes with everything i think and so so far it's fun so i'll do it for a little longer see what happens well i wholeheartedly concur with this premise i think if you're not um if you're not getting at the at the absolute base level if you're not getting something out of it that makes you want to go back and put it on if you're not into your own band, why are you doing mm. it? Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to say you like your own stuff because otherwise it's kind of pointless. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my wonderful friend, we have now, we have sailed past the two-hour threshold. This is a feature-length <laughs> podcast. Um, mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, for the people out there uh, who are players listening to this, um, the brave that have made it this far into our discourse, um, is there any is there any shout outs you want to give to makers or people you're working with or anything like that? Just to say, big thumbs up. Mm. These people are doing the good work. Artists or anything. This is your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see who's on my mind right now. Um... Well, we just came out of this hip hop discussion. Let me just shout out uh, this. I don't even. We're not friends or anything, but um, but this this artist Marlon Kraft, um, he's uh, got just dropped a new album. If you're into hip hop at all, just go check out Marlon Kraft. Great album. It's called uh, How We Intended, I think. Um, just as a just as a general recommendation, I, I really enjoy uh, him and his discourse. Um, and for the makers, um, excuse me, uh, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, um, we got Huffschmidt, we got, um, the Ricky Plecter, we got the, um, the Gravity, the, uh, the, the Stone Age guitar picks and, um, uh, Gemstone picks and, uh, there's just so many to, to even name. I think, um, I just love watching uh, everybody do their thing and their version of the thing, and that's 
that's that's also kind of uh, you know more on the philosophy tip. It's like it doesn't matter that that there's a thousand people or ten thousand people doing the thing that you like to do. You should still, if you feel compelled to, add your voice to the chorus, right? Like uh, because you're unique and um, your pick that you make um, may be inspired by. Um, a Dunlop or a Gravity or a V-Pick or uh, an Iron Age or any of these things, right? And you, But the way that you tweak it and the way that you put it out there and the material that you use, you know, it, might, it may come out to be a really unique thing and you may uh, change somebody else's perspective through your craft. And that may be, you know, guitar pick making. It may be a song. Um, um, and... Uh, a shout out to uh, shout out to my mom because my mom is awesome, um, and uh, she's she's a she's a crafter. Uh, she she's a sweetheart. She makes um, not that you can even buy these anywhere. I'm not even shouting her out to like sell anything. She just <laughs> she's just a sweet. She's a good human being, and she she makes quilts and uh, for for people's babies. And um, she made when the pandemic hit, she made a bunch of masks for people and. Um, she grooms dogs, and uh, if 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 I if you've ever liked anything that I've ever done, man, just give thanks to my mom because she's been a sweetheart and and shown me love, and uh, I think that I'm who I am because like she's been so sweet and she's been so uh, supportive. And when I shifted from baseball cards to comic books, she was like, "Okay, I guess we're selling." All right. Oh, you're doing guitar. Okay, you're doing music now. Okay. All right. You know, let's do the best we can to like keep up with you because you're just always shifting gears. Um, and uh, she's probably my biggest fan too. She's the cutest. <laughs> uh, other than that, um, you know, uh, b- big shout out to my boy Jimmy Dunlop at at at, at the at the Mighty Dunlop. Uh, all the cool things that are coming out there. Um, lots of cool pedals and. There's more cool things that I can't really talk about that I was, I'm still like loosely involved in that will hopefully come out this year. But there's just been delay after delay on a few bigger projects that uh, it's a longer story. But uh, yeah, just keep your eye on out. There'll be some cool stuff that that comes out uh, eventually. Um, and I don't know. I mean, if you guys, if anybody out there likes to do yoga with me, you know, uh, I I teach yoga online three days a week. Uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard L.A. time. Um, you can always get at me through any of my, my socials, and I can I can guide you to how to sign up for that. Uh, it's a vinyasa-style yoga, and we do a little meditation, a little mindfulness along the way. Um, helps me stay centered, and uh, and if and, you know if you find yourself uh, interested, you know I'd love to have you in class. And that that goes for you too, John. If you ever want to wake up, uh, or actually, you'll be way out. You'd be like this time, around the time we started, around five o'clock would be the time yep. that we'd be getting up doing our yoga morning. So, but um, yeah, thank you for hosting, sir. It is an absolute pleasure. I'm glad that you were able to not only to come on the show but also to give me such a large portion of your time, and I really appreciate that. Um, you got thank it. you for all the work you've done for the community as well because Players Pick Podcast shows people that it's not uncool to be into this mm. um, that it does genuinely matter 
uh, that you take care with the music you make, um, irrespective of the genre in which you operate. Um, and for getting a bit more into the core of these people rather than just asking them, you know, so you're stringing 9 to 42 on this, I understand. Uh, because that's because that is really important Uh, I'll leave links to all your stuff uh, in the description of this episode thank you Uh, and yeah big 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 thanks for coming down it's my pleasure I appreciate you so much John and thank you for all the work that you're doing and continue to do Um, I always send everybody your way man because like everybody's like what about the, I'm like, uh, go talk to John go 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 over to the heavy repping site because there's actual real reviews over there I picks are my are my um, my bait to get people involved and you know it's fun and I know I know enough to be a slightly dangerous about it but um, but I always point to you as as the the expert so you know it's oh, good it's good that. to have a partner out there across the sea that I can point to and say, hey, uh, the real shit's happening over there. So, like, talk to that dude. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll get your answers. Right. Big, big thanks to Chris for coming down. Um, you can have a look at all of his activities and so on at the links in the description of this episode. And if you'd like to join me for any further episodes of the Plexiverse, you are welcome to do so. You can check us out at uh, youtube.com slash heavyrepping, heavyrepping.com, and all the rest of it. I hope you have a wonderful day. In the meantime, my name's John Tron Davidson from Heavy Repping. Just remember, if you're not sure what to do in life, rep hard, rep heavy, and I'll see you soon.